Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, you're going to make sure you want to subscribe to this and get the notification. Oh, what's happening? It's good. It just keeps, keeps on wanting to go. Um, guys, hold on one second. I don't know why it's doing that, but there we go. Uh, this is going to be an amazing conversation. I love talking about mindset. I love talking about success. And our friend we have coming on now is the Swiss Army Knife of success. Uh, TEDx speaker, author, coach, does it all. And I'm so blessed and honored to have her come on today. Welcome to the show. What is going on? We finally got you on the show. I know. <laughs> long overdue, my friend. Long overdue. Thanks for having me here. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful you have you come on. Now, uh, I do have a traumatic brain injury. So if you see me writing stuff down, it's because I need to ask that question, but I might forget. Writing things well, down without a traumatic brain injury. So no hate from me, brother. <laughs> yep, I got a traumatic brain injury, um, but it also makes me helps me listen a lot better so I, I can hear a lot better. My first question is, if I don't ask it, I'll forget. What is your definition of resiliency? Getting back up. Even when life kicks you down, oh, and it will, um, get back up. No matter how many times it takes, it's like, remember those, <laughs> remember those like rubber clowns, the inflatable ones? You like you punch them and they just boing, pop back up. Be the clown. <laughs> I love that. Be the clown. So <laughs> let me ask you before we get started. Some people don't know you. A lot of people do know you. Give us a quick down and dirty about who you are and how you became the superstar that you are today. Okay, well, first of all, Swiss Army Knife of Success. I'm stealing that. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I've been, you know what? I've been up to a whole bunch of stuff for the past 24 years. I started a marketing company when I was just a wee lass. I was 19 years old. Um, so I'm sure it's no shock to you that I've been doing marketing all these years. And I uh, retired early, very young. I was 37. I mean, I still think that's young. So for anyone around 37, you feeling old, you go. Um, so I retired young and uh, I ended up facing a really interesting crossroads in life and um, realized that I'd always chased shiny objects and not necessarily real genuine happiness. And I wanted to figure out what it was. So then I went down this crazy rabbit hole to discover what happiness is really made of, found it out, became the happiest person I ever met in my whole life. And I wanted to share it with other people. So I wrote my best-selling book called The Six Habits. I did a TEDx talk. I lived in Hawaii for a while. And then um, my husband and I decided we really wanted to work together. So I was like, hey, hubby wants to do ammo. You know what? Sure, why not? Let's do it. So I'm all about sovereignty, financial sovereignty with you know the marketing company, emotional and spiritual with my coaching and my book and constitutional sovereignty. So Swiss Army knife, yes. Sovereign, yes. All the things. I'm allergic to sitting still. I love it. <laughs> all right, guys, we got to go. It's been a great show. Um, <laughs> Best uh, interview ever, really short. Quick, uh, so tell us a little bit about, you know, what did, were you always attracted to marketing or was it something you originally fell into? Uh, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I was 19 when I started, so it's hard for me to say I was always attracted to it because prior to that, people were like, oh, what were you doing before that? 
being a kid. I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, sales is something I've always been attracted to. So I don't know if uh, you remember these, but do you remember when like you'd go to school and they would give you like this crappy little glossy pamphlet? It was like a big eight and a half by 11 folded over maybe a couple pages and you had to go out and sell candles or whatever stuff to your neighborhood. I used to do that all the time and I used to crush it. I won bicycles and all kinds of neat stuff because I love selling and I love communicating and marketing and sales are deeply connected. They're all part of the same kind of psychology. And the, the truth is there are people who can learn marketing, but then there's people who are born with it. Well, baby, I was born with it. So um, it's, it's just understanding people and understanding how to, communicate with people and, and meet their needs. And, and if you're selling, you know, in the spirit of how can I, how can I get something from you? You're missing the point. It's more like, how can I have fun with you and engage with you and do something cool together? And that's really what the spirit of sales is. And that's always how I've approached it. I approach marketing the same way. So now in everything that I do, it's like, well, you know, Hey, let's talk about ammo. Let's talk about freedom, freedom, you know, and like, let's talk about, mental habits and to me it's just joyful to communicate and share love and ideas and conversations and disagree with people and when you do that the sales is a natural byproduct it's not even i mean it's not even marketing if you're just genuinely connecting with people so that's how i look at it so yes i've always been interested because i like people <laughs> and, you know i agree i i've always been a salesperson i love sales um i just like talking to people i that's my thing um but now i also you know, always, any job I always took, I always crushed it because you know, I always wanted to know about the person. I wanted to, you know, find out what the problems were with the, you know, what they needed and then solve yeah. their problems instead of just trying to sell them something. Yeah, and that's called active listening. Next week anyway, you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Well, good for you. You know, if you pay attention to the human, they'll pay attention to you. If you pay attention to only the contents of their wallet, they'll ignore you. So then how did you, uh, you started crushing it in the corporate world. What made you want to write a book? Because I know when I wrote my book, it was very cathartic, but it was very mm -hmm. hard for me because I'm a low-tech redneck. And uh, But it hit number one, so I'm happy with that. But yeah, I had buddy, to, when I wrote it, I had to think back and I had to go over my whole life because it was my life story and then other things. Mm -hmm. So what was it like writing your book and what was the impetus for writing? Well, as I, as I mentioned previously, like the impetus was actually the retirement because when I retired, you know, I went from like almighty powerful CEO to CEO of the dishes and just, you know, feeling like this identity crisis of what the hell, you know, I had always chased the money, the success, the awards, I got all of it. Um, but then when I retired, it was an awful lot of silence and I couldn't necessarily reckon with it. I'm like, well, if I did all the things, why am I not happy? I didn't understand it. So as an entrepreneur does, I got pissed off. I got really pissed off at the problem and um, I wanted to solve it. And I was like, well, clearly I missed the mark and I read every personal development book out there and I've done all the retreats and I've spent the money on the coaches. What the hell did I do wrong? What the thing that I did wrong and that nobody actually educated me on properly was how to truly be happy from the inside. So I wanted to know how, how could we do that? How do you actually be happy from the inside? So, you know, you can still pursue all those nice things, 
but whether you get them or not is not entirely relevant because the joy is in the journey. So we're very destination-based as a society, and I used to be. Now I'm very journey-based, and it, it's extremely important to me um, that I enjoy what I'm doing. And you know, like right now we're fundraising for the ammo company, and you know, I spoke to somebody. He's like, "Oh yeah, you know, well, it's all about getting there." I'm like, "Incorrect, Amundo, dude. No, if I don't enjoy the journey, if I don't like you, I don't want to do this. The joy is the point." So I, I needed to change me. And what I did was, and I happen to have this on my desk because I actually have to ship one off, is I built this program, the 90-Day Habit Mastery Program. It's this big like journal that I needed so I could train myself to think better. So the six habits are habits of the mind. And when you change your thinking, you can actually change your life. So when I retired, I was kind of bitchy. Um, my employees didn't like me. Um, you know, my new husband um, was angry with me. I was bleeding internally from years of stress. And I just just like, why did I set myself on fire? I was just really pissed. So I built that program for me. I want to be really clear. I, I built that for me. And frankly, I was in such a negative place. I didn't care about anybody else. But I did the work. And I, I went from being all those crappy things to actually being joyful and happy and enthusiastic and brave and taking chances and being adventurous and moving to a freaking island and moving away from my family and, you know, just putting my myself out there, at, you know, and when I, I felt so good, I wrote the book because I wanted to share that with other people and give them the recipe. It's like, well, if my grumpy ass could find a way to be happy, because I changed my thinking. I have ADHD and I'm really stubborn and I can be really negative. If I can do it, you can do it. And here's the secret sauce because happiness is contagious. So then I ended up um, actually creating the 90 day habit mastery program as something to share with other people. Um, of course, people, you know, they have the reaction, oh, 90 days, oh, I don't want to do 90 days. I didn't want to either. But turns out marketers like to lie and they want to have you believe that it's, um, 21 days or 30 days to actually create a habit or destroy one. That's a lie. They tell you that so they can sell you stuff. I tell you the truth. It's literally, it takes 90 days and I did the work and I got to tell you, there's some days I didn't feel like it, but damn it. I've never felt more empowered, you know? And so I wrote the book. I wrote the program. I, I did all the things It started out as something that was very self-serving and very selfish. I created it to share with others because I need to love on people and share this awesomeness. I just have to do it. It works. There's a lot of BS programs out there that don't actually work. And I know because I spent money on them and it pissed me off. Um, I wanted to, the the thing that finally put a period on it. It's like, nope, that's the, that right there. That's the, the beginning and end of it. Do Laura, do this one thing and you don't need any of this other crap. So, okay. so let me ask you um, a lot of people that are watching this are retired veterans. They're either getting out of the military on their own or because yeah. they got. And a lot of us, when we get out, um, we know that the military does not give a shit about you once you step off base. We no longer have a career. We no longer have the camaraderie and we yeah. no longer have a mission. And a lot of us don't have a plan. So mm -hmm. talk to us about your plan to retire at 37 and then what that day was when you were no longer the ceo and you had to reimagine and reinvent your life sure uh so having started my company at 19 um 
you know, a lot of people begin their military careers early on in life. But after about 12 years of it, I was starting to feel some of the wear and tear. I was tired. Also, you know, admittedly getting a little bit bored. Um, I, I can't do something for the rest of my life and be entertained by it. It just doesn't work. So um, about 31, I started working on figuring out my exit strategy. And at 37, I finally left. The last day was bittersweet. It really was. You know, it was, um, wow, I did it. Also, it was like, now what? You know, so I've worked with people who um, are transitioning out of lots of things, uh, you know, retiring from the military or retiring from just a normal job or a corporate career and trying to transition into a new life. The scariest thing of all is not having something to transition to. It's like a frog who's run out of lily pads to jump to. You have to have something else to jump to. And the silence for me is why I decided to write all the books. I didn't have the thing to, you know, to jump to, I had to create it, um, and discovered something great along the way. Um, but one of the biggest challenges that I see that probably a lot of your um, viewers and listeners experience is that lack of an, the now what the now what can cause a lot of paralysis There's actually a gentleman I'm working with now who, um, he is a very, um, accomplished, formerly famous athlete. Um, retired from that plus a glittering career in corporate America on top of it. And he retired from both of those things. He's struggling with a loss of identity, was struggling with um, sometimes some suicidal thoughts. It's like, well, who am I? Yeah. He is, you know, he's struggling with depression and there's a lot of trauma built into what he's facing, but also a huge loss of identity. And, and a big part of the work that we're doing is, okay, that's who you were for that period of your life. That is just that period of your life. It is not the whole thing. So what would happen if we decided to consciously and proactively design another slice of your life? What would that look like if you had a completely blank slate? And he does. He's got more money than he knows what to do with. It's like you can do literally anything. And you no longer need to provide for yourself because you've got more money you know, than you need. Now this can come from a place of joy. He's, you know, he and like many other people can get caught up with too many options, um, blank slate, um, being overwhelmed with just the analysis paralysis of like, oh God, I could do anything. Yeah. But you ever go to like the Cheesecake Factory and see their menu and ever get a little overwhelmed? It's a lot like that. It's like, ah, right. And it's right now I'm, I'm reintroducing him and I, I would any, encourage anyone watching or listening to this, reintroduce, your, reintroduce yourself to playfulness. Play and, and don't feel like you need to make a commitment right away. Like, oh, I'm going to be that. Why don't you try things on? It's like going to the store. When you go shopping, just try it on. Try it for a day. Maybe volunteer for a little bit or help someone out. Or like, you know, someone who's got a business doing X, Y, or Z, go hang out with them for a day. Be an older intern. There's no shame in that. It's actually the point of life is to continually learn and adventure and reinvent ourselves. So we got to have that lily pad. It's the what's next that we need. And, you know, for me, it was Memorial Day 2012 when they told me I'm no longer Sergeant Kaufman because I can't see because I got hurt on duty. I can't shoot. So obviously, you know, they don't need you. And for my for 23 years. I was Sergeant Kaufman. Mm. Well, now, who am I? 
You know, yeah. who's Richard? You know, if I'm not Sergeant Kaufman, well, I don't know who Richard is and it scared the shit out of me. And that That's was a day that I, and that was a day that I attempted suicide, but thank God it, I didn't go through with it. But like you said, I think a lot of us in the military or even football players, athletes, mm -hmm. it's, we get so used to being who we were and then we have to reinvent ourselves. Yeah. And for, for sometimes it takes a long time. Like it was 2012 when I got hurt and it's just been the last six months when somebody asked me, well, what do you do? And I used to say, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a retired veteran and blah, blah. Now I say I'm a podcast host and author and a speaker, but it was the first time I ever came out with it that I'm not that guy anymore. Yeah. I, I have a thought for you that I want I, to add. So talk to us a little bit about that, especially talking about that gentleman, because a lot of us, you know, oh, you know, you're a great football player, but there's more to me. And Absolutely. sometimes we don't realize there's more to us. Right. Well, I think, and this is the thought that I really wanted to add to what you were saying, you were very attached to the old identity that you had created for yourself. It was habitual. It was comfortable. It was something you knew really well when you left, you were awesome at it. And, you know, it was, you know, something where you had achieved as much as you could achieve. And it kind of, in a sense, defined who, who you were at the time. And I think our attachment to that feeling of being awesome at something and being at the top of our game, um, you know, even if we're injured, right, we still feel accomplished and like you've got a lot of um, things on your resume, right? You feel good. At the beginning, you don't feel like that. You, you feel uncertain, you feel, you know, very timid sometimes and you're just like, oh God, I'm a beginner. A lot of it is, well, it's two things. One, we need to reshape our relationship with the idea of being a beginner um, and learning something new and deciding to just take it on with a lot of gusto and be like, yep, I don't know anything from anything about this, but I'm going to learn. And right now my job is professional student. Um, but the other part of this, and this is so important, and I, um, I could talk to you about this for days, but I'll keep it brief. There's a difference, a positive, huge life-changing difference between identity and role. Your identity is who you are. Your roles are what you do. Your identity are the adjectives that describe you. You're kind, you're creative, you're eloquent, you're, you're curious. These are the things that describe you. So when I'm talking to people about Richard, I'm going to describe you and explain to them what it's like to be with you and who you are. I might mention your role, but it's honestly one of the most, I guess, inconsequential things about you, but we confuse that, right? And I made this mistake when I was retiring. I confused and I enmeshed my role with my identity, which is why I was so damn sad. Turns out, nope, I'm still important, I'm still valuable, still smart. Matter of fact, I got a hell of a lot of skills, thank you very much, that I got to take with me. So I'm still smart, I'm still kind, I'm still thoughtful, I'm still creative, I'm still a problem solver. Even though I'm not wearing the active CEO hat anymore, I'm still all of those things. The CEO was just a detail, right? And just like, you know, um, you know, what pick a role in the army? I'm sorry, I never served. I don't know the titles, but like my husband voluntarily jumped out of perfectly good airplanes. Well, he could identify with that, but that was just his role, right? It, but he's still that crazy person who takes on risk, loves adventure and loves the thrill of danger and the adrenaline. He's still that guy. And now he can take all those 
tangible qualities and translate them in the business world and you know the moving around to different locations with his wife world right so the separation of role and identity are critical because when you identify yourself as a transitory thing that's when you get depressed when you identify yourself as the things that compose your personality your, your interests whatever those are more gently evolving through time and it's more graceful and intentional the roles are so temporary and if you identify yourself by something that's fleeting you're setting yourself up for suicidal thoughts feelings of despair feelings of loss feelings of worthlessness i used to be this i'm not that anymore so i no longer have value wrong so when you separate the two you are actually a bit more bulletproof you can stand taller you can take on more adventure and you can actually look at things ten thousand feet back and be like wow i am still that person and i can do multiple things and i have all these incredible skills that i've picked up along the way with my roles and i can do all kinds of stuff with them okay before we i want to dig deep into a little bit of that a little bit more but first i want to thank our sponsors today's sponsor is vertical momentum coffee if you guys love coffee with a mission definitely check us out twice the amount of caffeine twice the amount of energy tastes amazing it's all hand roasted by veterans hands and 100 of the proceeds go to help end and veteran homelessness and mental health issues so if you love coffee and you love a mission definitely write coffee down below and we'll get the information to you now, my question is, because uh, one of my great friends is James Clear, wrote the book Atomic Habits, we all love, know and love. I'm and, currently listening into his book. That's crazy. Yep, yeah, he's, he's awesome. But, you know, like in the, when we're in the military, you know, no matter if we get drunk, if we, whatever we got going on, five o'clock in the morning, we're doing PT. You know, we're, we're, we have a, a set schedule. And it seems like when we get out of the military, um, we don't have those habits anymore. So a mm -hmm. lot of us get fat, dumb, and happy and, or unhappy. And I find that the most successful people like my friends, like Ed Milet, Russell Brunson, Anthony, Tony Robbins, they talk about how important your evening ritual and your morning ritual is to your success. So mm -hmm. do you agree with that? To an extent. Um, I think that a lot of the advice that people give is written from the perspective of you and I must be the same and therefore I'm going to give you advice and expect it to apply to you. And that's actually not always the case. Um, I love all of them, by the way, all those folks that you just mentioned, like I think their wisdom is great, but you also need to um, factor in the one thing that, a, that an author cannot do for the reader which is stacking up the information and the advice up against who you are as a person individually. So for example, I have attention deficit disorder, makes me very interesting. There are a lot of problems, I guess, with folks who have ADD. Um, hello, I see you, Mr. Shiny Object. <laughs> and ritual, we, we need it, but we also hate it. So there is a way to 
figure out how to take all those pieces of wisdom and apply them. So for me, I need to figure out, and this is where James Clear's book was really cool for me, is figuring out how I can use a lot of the wisdom and use it in a way that allows flexibility. So Hal Elrod's book, The Miracle Morning, awesome book, love it. I did it for a while. I found that I could not sustain it doing it all in the morning. It is just not something that I'm wired to do, but it also hasn't prevented me from being successful. I had to take the wisdom. And then I was like, this is awesome. I also need to completely twist this around into something that can work for me because the wisdom is good, but the application doesn't work with the way that my noggin operates. Like I don't like doing all those things in the morning. And in fact, I actually get bored if I do it for too many days in a row. So can I still do these things in a way that serves me um, so I can still show up? You know what I mean? Like it, it's definitely different. And I think that's probably where a lot of people probably struggle with like some of the self-help books is like, oh, I can't do that you know, for whatever reason, maybe you've got PTSD and you wake up screaming from nightmares every, every morning at like 4am. You don't want to get on the freaking treadmill. If you were like waking up in a cold sweat, crying about something terrible that happened to you, you just don't. So take the wisdom. Okay. I need to exercise every day. I need to journal. Okay. If you need to exercise, how can you do it in a way that actually serves you instead of like you know, adds to the pile of stress. If, is it something you dread? Is it something that, you know, you can look forward to? Like, how can you do it? For me, I found a way to incorporate exercise into my life. So one of the things that Hal Elrod's book talks about is having, you know, movement every morning, you know, exercise. It's a great idea. I'm also not going to do it. So what I did was I purchased a bicycle, some damn good running shoes and a treadmill for underneath my desk. So every single day I move, but I do it on my terms. I'll go for a walk with a friend. I'll go for a run. If it's nice out, I'll go for a bike ride. Or if I'm stuck in Zoom meetings all day, you you bet your bottom dollar I'm, I'm getting some movement in. But I do it on my terms. So I keep the wisdom, but I twist it to suit me. And, you know, I, I agree because um, I hate doing cardio, but <laughs> I, love, uh, I love knowledge. So I mm. kind of make it where the only way I can listen to my audio books is if I'm outside doing cardio, it's kind of like a punishment. So yeah. I have to get out there and do cardio if I want to listen to my to my. You're books. actually you're taking uh, James Clear's advice then because he talks about you know attaching it to um, something you know that you want to do. You attach the have to do to the want to do. Yep. Then you know, like and like you said, a lot of it is habits. Now I I interviewed one of the guys that actually wrote. Um, Tony Robbins, his first, his, his whole first series that he did. And I said, well, what makes Tony so, how does he get so rich? He says, well, only 3% of the people that show up actually are going to put into work what they learned. Yeah, so that's very true. He works with Gary V. He said, that's the reason why they can go on tour every year, pretty mm -hmm. much the same spiel. Mm -hmm. And they're going to, those same people are going to fill the same seats because only 3% of the people are actually going to take what they learned and actually putting it into use. I know. So that now, is true of my book. book. I have your book in my hand. I like, you know, because I, I do have your book, by the way. It's upstairs. But yeah. I, have, I have your book in my hand. Tell us what we are going to learn and how we can actually implement it instead of just All reading right. it, it down and saying, great book. 
All right. So you want to be one of the three percent? I got you. Of course. All I, right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm up at three percent or so. Definitely. That's awesome. Well, listen, I, I actually wrote the book knowing that. Um, and although it breaks my heart, I, I know it's just true. Right. So the book is. It's a practical look at how we think and why we think. Right. Society has programmed us into hating ourselves, treating ourselves like crap, taking things for granted, being distracted by every shiny object. I see you over there with your ADD, um, you know, like letting people just treat us how they want and just kind of tumble weeding our way through lives. Right. That's what society wants us to do, because we are here in America. We are called the American consumer. We're not the American citizen. Keep that in mind. So if you're the consumer, right? And the big machine, the, the powers that be, they don't give a crap about you. They want to keep you distracted, unhappy, and they want to dump on you because they get to make money on you. If you don't want to be the American consumer, you want to be the American citizen or European citizen or whatever you want. Um, you really, really crucially need to change your thinking. So the book has six mental habits, right? Um, these are habits of the mind. They define how you think. So the things that I just described were these six habits you shouldn't have, but you do have. The six habits that you should have is being kind to yourself. This is how you treat you. Thoughts, words, and actions of love to yourself from yourself. It's acceptance, which is unconditional self-love. It's like even if you gain 50 pounds and you don't go out and do your cardio today, you're still a worthy, awesome human being, and you're going to take the, take your shot because that's what you do. Like unconditional self-love. And believe me, that's tougher than it sounds. Being truly grateful as the, you know, as the lens that you look at your life through, including the hard stuff, especially the hard stuff when things don't go right, choosing to be grateful, being present in all the things, put your damn phone down, be present, right? And us ADHDers, we struggle with the whole presence thing, but believe me, it can be learned. Um, you know, the habit of goodness, goodness is managing all of the energy that you allow and invite in and intention, which, which is the energy that you in, put out to create, to build, to manifest, whatever. And all of these six things, they're learnable. You learned all the bad stuff. Why not take, you know, a couple of months and just learn all the good stuff. You can actually deprogram yourself and decline to participate in this whole American consumer crap. Be a citizen, be a sovereign citizen. And I don't mean sovereign, like screw the rules. No, sovereign means you are truly free and you are responsible for you. You take responsibility for how you feel, for how you live, your health, your well-being, and your next steps and your next lily pad you're going to jump to. And you can't do that if you're passive and just letting other people like push and pull you through life. So the book offers so many practical tools. The 90-day the program is sold separately. Um, God, I feel like I'm from Mattel now. Parts and accessories sold separately. Um, but it's a whole like journal. But there's so many things in the book that if you just do those and they come for free and there's even like all these like downloadable goodies. There's a 64-page workbook that goes free with the book for anybody who actually like downloads all of the stuff. Go through all of that. You will get profound self-awareness because there's, there's, there's a process. It's a linear process. Step one, you have to be aware of what is possible. If you are not aware of what is possible, you can't possibly want it or do the work. doesn't matter. You have to be aware of what's possible too. You have to want it and see it for yourself as a possibility. That is, that is inspiration. So there's awareness and there's inspiration. The second one is you need to actually engage, 
right? You need to engage with the material. You need to read the book. You need to like actually like start onboarding this stuff and really like learn and self get the self-awareness. That's huge, right? And the fourth thing is you need to lean in and start living that way before it's comfortable. You got to get weird, right? You got to get weird. You got to do stuff that feels really icky. So when I'm telling you, you need to practice, you know, a lot of self-kindness, you're going to be like, no, this is lame. I'm not doing it. I remember, you know, one of my clients still, I, I've been working with him for over a year and I'm like, buddy, you are so mean to yourself. You're not going to break through this plateau unless you're nice to yourself because how do I do it? All right, pivot, go to your car, call me back. Goes to his car, calls me back. I was like, all right, you locked down or the windows up. Yeah. Cool. I need you to just start screaming affirmations at the top of your lungs. He's like, what? Yeah. Scream. Stop worrying about what people think of you. It's paralyzing you. You're in your car because I wanted you to have the cone of silence, but you need to start screaming words of love to yourself that are so loud they drown out all the negative stuff. Oh man, it took me 15 minutes to coax him into doing it. But he did. He started to do it. At the end of it, his blood was pumping. He was like, yeah, oh, I can do anything. I'm like, I know this. You just need to actually tell yourself that you can do this. Now try doing this every day, you know, until you don't need to do it anymore. You know, learning these behaviors, it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy because you have to fight your old self and your old self doesn't want to go down without a fight. Your old self is like, no, I like treating myself like crap. I like self-loathing. I like being lazy and self-entitled. I like this crap. So you got to be better than that. And it's all mapped out for you in the book. There's millions of things that you can do. And every single chapter, every single habit has really specific instructions that literally for the price of a book, you can get that plus the whole workbook and everything else and change your life just from that. I love that. Now, something you also said is um, that I, my whole business changed once I had a, a talk with Russell Brunson and we talked about how I became a social media producer and mm-hmm. stopped being a consumer. And I think a lot of business owners, they get so wrapped up in being a consumer that all they're doing is spending the whole day on social media. And they're not, and they're wondering, well, why am I not being successful? Because you're you, you're consuming it, you know, you're not producing it. So what That's what are right. your... you need to be in the in the in like the zone of creation? Yeah. Um, you know, we should all think of ourselves as content creators. If yeah. we can shift and be like, you know, I may have one person who follows me, but I am a content creator. Affirm that I'm a content creator. Never thought I was. I was like, oh my god, I'm an influencer. No, but I am a content creator. I like creating content. I like engaging with people and I like adding value. And guess what? Sales come from it. It's awesome. I, I love it. So now my my um one thing else I think that you really hit on that I, I truly appreciate is one thing I'm working on myself is being wherever I am, being present mm. in the and I don't remember that the girl the young lady wrote a book called Presence, but it's an amazing book. And it talks about how whatever you're doing, be present in that moment, because, mm-hmm. you know, and, and real, realistically, the past doesn't exist. The future doesn't exist. Nope. The only thing that actually exists is this very moment. And I think a lot of people, you know, like they think, OK, we're having this conversation. I got to do this later. I got to do the laundry. I got to cook dinner. And they're not really 
in the moment. And I think this is where success happens is actually in the moment. Correct. It does. I mean, the truth is you, you need to be mindful of the past and use it to propel you forward and take all the lessons with you that still exist in your head in the present. Um, the past is a useful teacher, but the future is a really powerful inspiration. So it, it, these, when I talk about presence, um, I don't speak about presence as the only thing on the menu. The past is really useful. And it's good for us to remember it. That's why, you know, our creator gave us a memory. It's why we have those things. Um, it's where relationships come from. But the future also deeply inspirational and it gets us moving. And if we're ever going to like decide to take on goals, it's because we want to have something later. So we're doing a lot of things today for that. But there is so much value in presence, like even... Right now, my phone has lit up about 15 times since we've been in this conversation. I see it and I'm like, well, I don't care. I'm talking to Richard right now. Like, nobody will die if they have to wait to hear from me. Like, being present, oftentimes, it's all about saying no powerfully and saying yes powerfully. Saying no to the stupid, shiny, glowing, tiny computer in your pocket. Saying no to the phone, stuck, you know, putting it in a safe for a day and locking it in there, putting it in the fridge. I've been known to do that. Um, you know, but also like, just like, don't worry about stuff. So again, you and me, we have the ADD. I've, I've come up with so many different strategies to help me truly be present. One of my biggest struggles in my twenties was actually being able to fall asleep. I could not be present with just letting my brain calm down and, and, you know, just be present with rest because I'd always been so busy and whatever the whole day that by the time I had some quiet, my brain was like, Hey, all this crap I wanted you to think about all day long. Here's all of it. So one of the things that I've been doing basically ever since my twenties, so probably last 15 years or so, is I always have a tiny notepad nearby post-it notes or something. And it's like, wow, that's an interesting thought don't care, write it down. That's a tomorrow me problem. Like, don't care. Yeah. Yes. I know I need to mail that off. I don't need to do it right now. Like enjoy what I'm doing. Oh yeah. There's that thing. Mm -hmm. Write it down later. And it's about continually getting good at saying no and buffering and just nope, 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 nope. And just saying no to a lot of things. So you can powerfully say yes to the thing that's right in front of you. It could be the conversation with your friend. It could be a walk with someone that you love. It could be a terrible situation, but being present with things allows us to process trauma better. It allows us to move through PTSD better. It allows us to heal, uh, grow, come up with cool ideas, and sometimes let our minds wander. I mean, again, with the whole ADHD thing, one of the things I have found difficult over the years until recently was meditation. That, that one requires so much presence but if you can again like use twist it to make it fit you now i can meditate very easily because it's just like okay that's an interesting thing that just entered my head i don't need to act on it i don't you know the the wisdom here is when you say yes to one thing you are saying no to something else so if you're saying yes to this, this distraction that just popped into your head or yes to your stupid smartphone you are saying no to you you are saying no to peace. You are saying no to the success of whatever it is you're working on. Is it worth it? I would argue it's rarely worth it. 
One thing I got to say is um, the way I first found you is I'm searching through YouTube, of course, and I see your TEDx speech. And oh. I was like, wow, I, I got to definitely have her on the Thank show. You. So talk to us a little bit about, first of all, how do we find your TEDx speeches? How do we find your book? And how do we get in touch with you? So uh, my book is available on Amazon. It's also a signed copy is available on my website. It's thesixhabits.com, T-H-E-S-I-X, habits.com. Um, I have lauradibenedetto.com as well, but since nobody can spell that, um, I decided to get yolara.com, like, yo, yolara.com and redirect it. So <laughs> there's that. But it's a, it's a nice central hub for everything that I've got going on. But um yeah, that's that's the easy way to find me. And um, did you want me to talk to you about the TEDx? Is that what you were asking? Yeah, tell me a little bit about that because a lot of people say, um, "Oh, I want to be a TEDx speaker." So, what was it actually like being a TEDx speaker? In a way, I kind of still don't know because I had to remotely film um, from where I lived. And I did not get to speak in front of the audience because it was in the middle of the pandemic. It turns out people don't want to get together with you and they think everybody's got Cody's. So <laughs> um, it was a really, really cool experience. And it was, um, I don't know, it was one of those things where like you get on the horse and you don't know what kind of ride you're going to have, but you, you know, you're, you're saddled in, you're like, all right, let's do this. Um, it was, it was wild. It was stressful. It was awesome. It pushed me. What was actually really the most amazing thing that I got out of it was trying to distill everything that I knew about all of this mental habit stuff into something incredibly brief that people could understand. It pushed me to be so much better and clearer with my messaging. Um, because honestly, if you can't explain it quickly to like a, a six-year-old, you don't understand it. And yes, I wrote the book, but you might have noticed I'm loquacious. I like to talk. I like to write. I'm long-winded, pompous windbag. I um, I was forced to be brief. Yep. And the brevity made me better. So even if I got nothing else out of it, then the distillation process of refining my ideas and making them so much better and more palatable to people grand slam like i would 100 percent do it again and i want to be really clear i hated writing my talk i actually really hated it but i also kind of hated writing my book like i just um sometimes we just we we don't love the the growth and the blossoming process because it just it hurts so much because it's like it's pushing you and you're like i don't know how to do this Urgh! but i'm so glad that i leaned into the suck if you will like yeah. I was just like, man, I hate this. But then when I was like done with it, I was like, my God, that was the most glory, glorious pain I think I've ever been through. I am better for it. Thank you, TEDx, for picking me and putting me through hell. I'm so grateful. <laughs> so, guys, make sure that if you're watching this or when this goes out, make sure you check out her TEDx talk. I loved it. I think I watched it three times. Make sure you pick up her book. And it's not a book you're going to put on your end table and that's it. It's actually a workbook. So make sure you pick up the book and be part of the 3%. Yes. Like, you know, like my t-shirt says, today I decided. Those are the three most important words in the English language, in my opinion. You make the choice to be the victim or the victor today. 
So guys, make sure you pick make that decision to pick up her book, make that decision to check out her TED Talk. It will actually change your business and your life. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's been really fun. Thank you for talking with me. I'm so grateful for you. And I can't wait to see all the, the all the new great stuff that you got going on. Oh, you guys, by the way, check out her LinkedIn profile. She's always dropping some serious knowledge bombs. So make <laughs> sure you check out her LinkedIn profile. All right, guys, I love you. And remember, vertical momentum. The only way to go is both. Laura, have an amazing week and keep kicking ass. Thanks, buddy. You too. Hey, guys. If you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new T-shirt line that's coming out. Hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee. And, and it, will, it will get you moving in the morning. So guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out, leave us a note, tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives.